Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Like Sim said, I have spent the last eight months um, covered in nappies, singing nursery rhymes, blowing raspberries. Um, So I've been thinking quite a lot about children. And as I was planning this, um, I started to wonder, can you remember the earliest prayers you ever prayed? Do you remember what you prayed about anything at all when you were a child? Maybe um, it was for a Christmas present, something you particularly wanted, or um, a specific holiday you wanted to go on, or um, about nightmares that you were having, um, or maybe you prayed for a baby sibling. I don't know. So I was thinking about this, and then I thought I would scour the internet for the best children's prayers that I could find, and these were my favourite. Here is the first. Dear God, did you mean for the giraffe to look like that, or was it an accident? Norma, I think that's a pretty important question. She's got a point. Number two, dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. (laughs) Dear God, if you give me a genie lamp like Aladdin, I will give you anything you want, except for my money and my chest set. How about this one, which I think got answered yesterday. Um, Dear God, I keep waiting for spring, but it never comes yet. Uh, Don't forget, hooray, it's been answered at last. Um, I love those. Aren't they amazing? Um, You may have guessed that today we're going to be thinking about kids um, and young people. We're still in the theme of rooted. So the question for today is, how can we be a church that grows rooted children and young people? What does it look like for us to do that? How do we go about it? See, as hilarious as these prayers are, it turns out that there are a few stages of life that are more significant for faith development than the ages of about 0 to 19. Um, There was a piece of research done in 2010 which found that 72% of people who would call themselves Christians said they came to faith before the age of 19. 72%, that's nearly three quarters. So if you look around here, if there's four of you in a row, that means that perhaps three of you will have come to faith before the age of 19. Now, we might be a little bit different here. Give me a wave if you came to faith before the age of 19. Yeah, so it's a solid number. We've got, we've got quite a few who maybe did later. But actually, that's massive, isn't it? That's a really significant stage of life. And in fact, scientists are beginning to discover that as they look into neuroscience and how the brain develops, that actually the teenage years are massively significant for developing our capacity as adults to engage with God. So in our teenage years, our brains go crazy with rewiring themselves. They basically go through the, the biggest stage of development since we were babies in our teenage years. Um, And I think it's the biggest in our adult life, is in our teenage years. And in that time, our brain develops the links that enable us to experience what we see as like transcendence, the God stuff, the awe and wonder, the spiritual spiritual side of life. Our brain wires that up. Now, our brains are a use-it-or-lose-it machine. So what we use in our brains, it gets better at, and what we don't use in our brains, it loses the capacity to do. So in our teenage years, if we develop our spirituality, if we have spiritual experiences, if we spend time connecting with God, we actually become better at it as adults. But if in our teenage years we don't connect with God, it becomes harder and harder for us to experience that kind of stuff. It's not impossible. You can develop your brain in that way later in life, but it becomes harder. So when we have friends as adults who say, do you know what? I'd love to have faith with you, like faith like you do, but I just can't. They're not just using it as a cop-out. Actually, sometimes they haven't developed that part of their brain to give them that capacity to do it. 
So it really, really matters how we, as a community, develop our children and young people. It has a lifelong impact on them. It has a, an eternity-long impact on them. It has an impact on our community, on our country, on our world. So how on earth do we do it? Now, for some of us here, um, we think about this a lot. Perhaps we've got kids of our own. It's on our radar. We're trying our best. Um, and maybe we're excited about the prospect of talking about it. For some of us... We haven't thought about this, like, ever. Maybe we don't have kids. Maybe we don't like kids. Maybe they terrify us. I can sympathize. Um, some of us, and we're just not that interested in this part of life. But the Bible says that the church is a family. There is no someone else's kids in church. Actually, we are a family. Those kids, they may not be biologically related to us, but as soon as they enter our church, they are our spiritual nieces, nephews. They're our family. We share a responsibility for their nurture and care. So we're going to look at a Bible story um, that I think gives us some hints and tips as to how to go about this. Um, and in a second, not yet, um, Levi is going to come up and read it to us. But I want to give you a bit of context before we get there. So um, we're going to turn to 1 Samuel which is Old Testament. It comes after the book of Judges. Um, so it's a period in Israel's history where um, things have got a little bit messy. They haven't really been listening to God too well. Um, there's, it's just complicated. And God has actually backed off a little bit. Things are just going a bit wrong in Israel. And we enter this book by meeting a lady called Hannah. Hannah is married to, let me get this right, Elkanah. That might not be how you say it. Um, and she has no kids. She desperately, desperately wants kids. The thing is, Elkanah is also married to Peninnah, or Penina? Penina, I think. Um, she has loads of kids, but she's not particularly kind with the fact that she's got loads of kids. She makes it her favourite pastime to torment Hannah about the fact that she has kids, but Hannah doesn't. And so Hannah cries out to God with all of her being. Desperately, desperately, she prays. And she says, God, please, please, please give me a child. If you give me a child, I will dedicate that child back to you. He will be yours. And she tries desperately. And actually, a few months later, boom, she's pregnant. Hooray! She gives birth to a baby boy called Samuel. Now, Samuel lives with Hannah for a couple of years while he's breastfeeding. And then when he's weaned, she takes him to the temple to give, give him to God, as she promised. And she takes him to the temple, and she hands him over into the care of a guy called Eli. Now, Eli um, is one of the leaders in the temple, and he then takes on the care and nurture for Samuel as Samuel lives in the temple with him. And that's when we start our story. So, um, Levi, do you want to come join us? You probably need a microphone. Didn't think of that. Okay. Yeah. It'll come up on the screen. Or you can use your phone. All right, I'll read off the screen. So the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him yet. A third time the Lord called Samuel, 
And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of every, everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide anything from me, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Thanks, Levi. Fabulous. So, what does this passage have to tell us about becoming a community who grow rooted children and young people? Well, um, in good sermon style, you'll be pleased to hear, I think it says three things. The first is this, expect. We should be a community of people who expect God to be speaking to our children and young people. Now, we don't know Samuel's age exactly from this passage. Um, I read that the ancient historian estimated that his age might have been around 12, um, but we don't know exactly. All we do know is that he was young. He was young and he wasn't an adult. And yet, somehow, God trusts him with his important message. In an age where God wasn't talking to many people at all, he chooses to talk to a 12-year-old boy. Because age doesn't seem to bother God nearly as much as sometimes it bothers us. There's no age restriction on the kingdom of heaven. There's no age restriction on discipleship. Sometimes when we are investing in our kids, it can feel like um, we're planting seeds to bear fruit when they're adults. That sometimes we're preparing them for lifelong discipleship that'll kick in when they are 18, when they leave home, when they get a job, when they can enter into church leadership or some form of ministry. It feels like we're investing in their futures. But actually, they have a mission and a ministry now, no matter what their age Just like us, when they leave these walls today, they enter their mission fields. At 8 a.m. on a a Monday morning, they go to school to a world where not many people know who Jesus is, but so many people need to know who Jesus is. They have just the same opportunities that we do to speak life into people's difficult situations, to pray for their friends, to tell them about Jesus, and frankly, sometimes they're a lot better at it than we are. And actually... They are surrounded by so many friends who have no idea how God is, how much he loves them, or that he's calling their name. God is commissioning our kids and young people every single day to follow him and to serve him. 
Do we sometimes miss it because we think that only God, only adults get used in that way? See, Eli didn't. And because he didn't miss it, he was able to do two things. He was able to... Oh, we can skip on two slides now. <laughs> he was able to recognize and respond. Now, in the last couple of months, I have become... Uh, very well versed in the art of being woken in the middle of the night by a small person. <laughs> um, in fact, I've uh, actually got a pretty good artist depiction of what I look like at about 3 a.m. when Phoebe wakes me up for at least the first time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for those listening on the podcast, that is a slightly disgruntled-looking pug dog. Um, that is what I look like. My husband will attest to this. Um, I have nothing but awe and wonder and respect for Eli to be able to do spiritual, insightful things, having been woken up three times in the middle of the night. Let's just have a moment for that. Now, reality check, it takes him three times of being woken up before he clocks what's happening. Um, that shows us he's human. Uh, I think it would take me about 15 times. But actually, in the middle of the night, even though he's been fast asleep, somehow he's able to wake up and twig what is happening is that God is acting. See, suddenly he realizes that what Samuel is hearing isn't him calling out for aid in the middle of the night. It's not Samuel having some weird dream. It's not Samuel being annoying. Actually, it's God speaking to Samuel. Now, that should have blown his mind on a number of levels. One, Samuel's young. Two, God's not speaking to many people. And actually, more than that, Eli was a leader in the temple. If God was going to speak to anyone, he would have expected it to be him. He wouldn't have expected it to be his aide, Samuel. But Eli doesn't get hung up on these things. Instead, he realizes that God is reaching out to engage with Samuel, and he does three key things. He, can we have the next slide? He names what's happening. God's trying to speak to you, Samuel. He equips Samuel to respond. When he speaks, Samuel, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And he gives him space. He sends Samuel back to bed. He doesn't insist that he's got to be there with him to pray. He doesn't insist that he's got to be there to kind of mediate God to him. He sends him back to bed and he says, you can do this, Samuel. You can have this encounter. I wonder if God is doing the same thing with our children and young people in this church. And if sometimes maybe we miss what he's doing because we're too busy, we're too tired. We haven't quite clocked what he's doing. But actually, maybe we've got opportunities as well to respond in these three ways. Maybe um, if a child says after the worship something like, do you know, I felt this really weird tingling in my hands while we were worshipping. Is that an opportunity to say, do you know what? Sometimes that's how we feel God's presence. Maybe the next time you're worshipping, you could say to God, God, I know you're here. I just want to feel you a little bit more and then see what happens. Or if one of our young people says, do you know, I actually just can't believe what it says in the Bible about this. It just doesn't seem okay or right. Being able to say, do you know what? God's okay with your doubts and your questions. Have you thought about just going home? Shut yourself in your room, give yourself five minutes, and tell God what you're really unhappy about, about that passage. And then just try, take a couple of minutes, just sit there quietly and see, see if God wants to say something to you about it. Maybe you'll feel something. Maybe you'll think of a Bible verse. I don't know, but why not just take five minutes to see if God's going to talk to you? We have endless opportunities to respond in this way. And actually, the most powerful 
tool we have in growing rooted children and young people is enabling them to connect directly to God, enabling them to develop that intimacy with God themselves, to feel skilled up, to feel equipped to connect with God themselves without us needing to be around, without us needing to do it for them. I wonder what would happen if we did that. But see, Eli doesn't even stop there. He goes one step further to respect, or perhaps a better word would be honour. Now, um, I remember reading this passage when I was a kid. Uh, I used to, um, I remember I used to get up in the morning, I used to go into my mum's room, um, I'd crawl into bed, and she had a little Bible by the side of her bed, and I had a list of Bible stories that I loved that I would get her to read to me again and again and again. So there was David, uh, Daniel, Esther, and this was one of them. Now, I loved it, but um, it wasn't until I reread this passage for this that I realised what God had Samuel say to Eli. Oh my word, for your first word from God, that is not what you want to be announcing to the person who takes care of you and has authority over you, is it? That massive word of judgment over Eli and his family. So we know from the chapter before this that um, Eli had a couple of sons. And his sons were a mess. They were doing everything wrong. They were just making terrible decisions and behaving ridiculously sinfully. And God had had enough. And it was time that he said something and he did something about it. And that is what Samuel has to say to Eli the next morning. Now, um, I don't know if you noticed, it said that um, Samuel lay down for the rest of the night. It doesn't say that Samuel went to sleep for the rest of the night. I wonder if he just spent the whole night freaking out about how on earth he was going to say that to Eli. So um, the morning after his disturbed sleep, Eli goes straight to Samuel. And the first thing he does is he asks Samuel what God said to him. See, he just operates on the assumption that God will have spoken and that Samuel will have something to tell him from God himself. And that it will be significant and that it will be important. Already he's honouring the fact that no matter his age or his inexperience, Samuel is capable and competent enough to hear from God and to speak God's words. And when those words of judgment flow from Samuel's mouth to Eli, I don't know if you noticed, there's no pushback, there's no defensiveness, there's no trying to adjust the words to take account for the fact that Samuel's pretty young, he's pretty inexperienced, maybe he got the message wrong. There's no denial that it can be the case. There's just a humble, faithful, obedient acceptance that those are the authoritative words of God flowing from the mouth of a child, devastating as they are. Because God's words have authority no matter the age from which they flow. If we authentically want to be a community of people who develop rooted kids and young people, do you think we can be those kind of adults? The kind of adults with the depth of faith and humility to receive even really painful words from our kids and young people? Can we have faith to accept that sometimes they may hear God more clearly than we can ourselves? I will forever be grateful for my, um, for my parents and for the church that I grew up at because um, they did this and frankly, I think they just let me get away with some ridiculous stuff. Um, when I was a teenager, um, we had one youth worker who um, left the church and moved on and the church leadership um, decided to do a bit of a review. They were reflecting on, was it right to employ a new youth worker or to redirect the funds elsewhere? I went to a Church of England church, so we had a parish council, um, and they were meeting one night to discuss this. And uh, my parents 
somewhat foolishly, took me along to this meeting. And, uh, and so the discussion was going on, and I had the opportunity to speak. And I vividly remember, as a teenager, surrounded by these adults, half of them who run like companies and are CEOs and very important people, as a teenager just standing up in front of them and announcing quite boldly that should they choose not to engage um, in supporting the young people of the town, then these young people might never have the chance to hear the gospel, and they, as a church, may be condemning these young people and children to hell. I might, were I to have that conversation again today, have a little more theological nuance and maybe say it a little bit less bluntly. Um, do I think that probably there is something of the passion for God and what God might have, God's love for the young people of that town and God's heart for what he wanted us to do for them in what I said? Yes, absolutely. Could I have phrased it slightly better? Probably. Um, but do you know what? All credit to them, they took that on the chin. They let me speak those words, they included it in their discussion, and they made it part of their decision-making process. I really hope that I'll be able to do that one day, because I think I was pretty obnoxious. But I think that was amazing. I wonder, like, could we do that here? Could we have a young person or a child say something that, quite frankly, we just think is a little bit rude? And actually, could we receive it and respond to it and take it and recognise that God might be using their bluntness to challenge us. In our homes, in our friendship groups, our church community, let's look for the opportunities to listen to the words of God that are flowing from our children young people. Because sometimes we think that we, as adults, are called to disciple young people. Sometimes they disciple us. And if we, if we miss out on that opportunity to let them, then I think we miss out on the opportunity to let God work in our lives. Let's enable our children and young people to grow in their spiritual confidence and literacy by sharing the reality of God's communication to them with us. Let's listen. So uh, I'm a big fan of practicality, so I have a couple of practical so-what points to follow that. Um, my first is this. It's obvious. It's always the answer. I'm sorry, but it matters. Pray. We have got to be a community who prays. Let's pour out prayer over our children and young people. Let's pray ceaselessly for them that God would move in their lives. Let's not be satisfied that someone in the church is praying for them. Let's want everyone in the church to be praying for them. Now, I don't know um, how you pray, when you pray, where you pray. Perhaps there's a, there's a place in your, in your brain where you're like, right, that's when I pray. I can, I can pray for the young people and children of this church at that point. Um, brilliant. If not... I want to invite you to um, join um, my pattern of prayer with, um, with Phoebe. Um, Phoebe and I, um, and Frank, when he's around, we have um, breakfast Bible time in the morning, um, and we pray every day. But Monday, Monday morning over breakfast, is our time that we pray for the young people of Freedom Church. And uh, I want to invite you to join me on Monday mornings. Um, not for breakfast, that would be a little bit complicated, it's already quite messy. Um, but wherever you are on Monday mornings, whether it's in the shower, on the way to work, in your car, over breakfast, I want to invite you just to, even if it's like a sentence prayer, even if it's just a thought as you pass by, let's pray that God would be speaking to our children and young people. Because, my goodness, doesn't the Bible say that prayer works? It says, when we pray, mountains will move, the blind will see, the lame will walk, all of that. So why on earth? Let us not doubt for a single second that if we pray that God would speak to our children young people, heaven will roar its answer to that. 
It won't be small. It'll be huge. Secondly, I want to challenge each and every one of us here to do something. Now, I want to acknowledge that um, in this room are a lot of really busy people. Your lives may feel full to bursting. It may feel like you barely have time to breathe at the moment. And I, I want to honour that fact and humbly challenge that as well. Um, I've realised something that, that really should have been obvious to me a while ago, and it's probably obvious to a lot of you, but parenting is knackering. <laughs> like, they should warn you about that. And who forgot to tell me that you don't get a day off anymore? Like, I, I think I just didn't realise how great weekends were until I had a baby. Like, weekends and holidays, my goodness, it's endless, it's ceaseless, isn't it? And, and those moments where you are absolutely at the end of yourself, you don't think you've got anything left to give, and yet they still need you. And you have no choice but to go in your emptiness and, and serve and love. And if we are authentically a church family, if these children aren't just someone else's, but they're also ours, then even in our exhaustion, our full lives, our brokenness and our tiredness, they still need our nurture. And so it's not just one or two people's jobs, it's all of our jobs. And I don't know what this will mean for you, what doing something will be, whether it's something little or something massive, whether it's you're feeling um, a challenge that actually you should be committing to a regular slot to serve amongst our children, young people in our children's groups and our youth groups. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's big. Maybe it's small. Maybe it's, um, it's committing to go and find a child or young person after church every week and just ask how they are, see how they're doing, ask what you can pray for for them. Maybe it's um, adopting a church family to support and love. So may, that might mean giving the parents a night-a-month babysitting so that they can go to an alpha course or just to the pub, um, giving them a break. Or maybe it's so tiny that it's texting um, the parents of the church to just let them know you're thinking of them every now and then. I don't, I don't know what it is, but actually I want to challenge you that every single one of us here needs to be doing something to nurture the faith of our children and young people. And if you're feeling utterly unqualified, I just want to point you one more time to Eli. He's really old, the passage tells us. He's falling apart at the seams. His family is a mess, a nightmare mess. He's literally under God's judgment, and it's the middle of the night and he'd rather be asleep. And yet even then, he is able to equip Samuel to connect with God in a powerful, meaningful way. If he can do it, we definitely can. So um, I want to challenge us not to let this message leave our memory without doing something. Because verse 19 of this passage tells us this about Samuel from this point going forward. It says, The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and let he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing to be able to say about each and every one of our children and young people at Freedom Church? That the Lord is with them as they grow up and he lets none of their words fall to the ground. I know I want that for Phoebe. I want to see that in her future. I just can't think of many better prayers for that. So what if that is what happened? What if Freedom Church was a church where kids encounter God 
What if Freedom Church was a church where kids went out from here into their schools and communities as on-fire disciples for Jesus, sharing God's good news with their friends, praying and supporting those who are having difficult times, bringing their burning bright lights of faith into the darkness they encounter? What if we could no longer run our children's groups on a Sunday morning, not because we were struggling to find adult volunteers, but because we couldn't fit the children into the rooms that we've got? What if um, the kids and young people were so on fire for God that they were constantly, obnoxiously, irritatingly challenging our faith and our passivity? Wouldn't that be amazing? Like that's, that's what I heard this morning from Hannah. What, I mean, we didn't plan this, um, but oh my goodness, did you listen to that and think, oh, I need to get out more. <laughs> I need to do something. That's the dream. Let's be a church that authentically grows rooted children and young people. Can you just imagine what that would look like? I'm so excited by that vision. I hope you are too. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.